you have chosen to be here today. Very thankful for the opportunity to be together the first day of the week. Appreciate so much those of you who are visiting. As always, we invite you to come back. We would love to have you come and be a part of the work of the church here at Olive Branch. We're very grateful for all the good that takes place. And I think that if you're looking for a church home, you'll find Olive Branch to be a very loving place to be. So we'd love to have you come and be with us. We're going to be looking at John chapter 4 in our study today, John chapter 4. There are many, many people in our world today that if you were to ask them, they would tell you they are a nobody. They are just one person among many. And there are a lot of folks in our world today, they don't necessarily fit into what we might call the in crowd. As a matter of fact, we would identify them as the outcast. Some would say the displaced. Others might view them as the disenfranchised. In John chapter 4, we are introduced to a woman who would have by all means fit that category. She was an outcast, a displaced person, disenfranchised, if you please. And yet what we find is that Jesus took the time to talk to her. It made a profound difference in her life. And when I think about people in our world today who have this idea that they are a nobody, that they are insignificant, worthless, let me tell you what, when it comes to Jesus, everybody is somebody, and that includes you. Everybody is somebody to Jesus. And I think that's borne out in our text today. So I want us to look at John chapter 4. As we think about this woman that is really brought into focus by John the Apostle, there are some things that maybe we would do well to consider about her. First, I want you to think with me for a moment or two about her baggage. And when you read John chapter 4, one of the things that stands out, this lady had some baggage. And think about how many people in our world today, they view themselves as coming with a lot of baggage. And there are many people that based on the fact that they have baggage in their life, their idea is that their baggage is insurmountable. In other words, they just can't get beyond it. So let's think about her baggage for a minute. The baggage of the Samaritan woman. And there were really, I think, there are really two things that I would stress here. First, her social baggage, and then secondly, her spiritual baggage. Let's think for a minute or two about her social baggage. And I want you to read with me, beginning in verse 3. The Bible says that Jesus left Judea and departed again to Galilee. Now Judea lay to the south of Jerusalem. Galilee would have been to the north. To get from Judea to Galilee, you would typically go through Samaria. The Jews, however, they didn't like the Samaritans. 
if they had the time, they would basically cut to the east and miss Samaria. And yet, the Bible tells us, speaking of Jesus, that he needed to go through Samaria. Samaria was considered by the Jews as not a part of what might be identified as the quote-unquote holy land, giving you some insight into how the Jews felt about the Samaritans. So Jesus said, I've got to go through Samaria, and there's a reason for that. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar. Some have said that this would have been ancient Shechem. Others possibly modern-day Ascar. So he gets to, to Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And the Bible says Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied. And this gives us some insight into the humanity of Jesus, doesn't it? The word wearied here carries with it the idea of being exhausted. We would say today, I'm beat. And really, that's, that's the sentiments of Jesus in this context. He's exhausted. He is, as we would say, he's beat. And so Jesus, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. Now, if John is using Jewish time, that would have been noontime. If he's talking about Roman time, it would have been 6 p.m. in the evening. Whatever the case, Jesus is tired. He's wearied. He's exhausted. And the Bible says that a woman of Samaria came to draw water. And then Jesus says, give me a drink. Now, I mentioned a moment ago her social baggage. First, you need to understand something about the plight of women in that day and time. We talk about her gender. That was, that was a part of her social baggage. Women in the first century were viewed as nothing more than property. They had very little rights. As a matter of fact, Basically, men had all the rights. And so, we think about her gender. And then, based on her genealogy, she's from Samaria. The Jews disliked the Samaritans. As a matter of fact, note if you would what is said by John in verse 9. The woman of Samaria said to Jesus, How is it that you, being a Jew... Ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman. Now note if you would. For Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Now, the Samaritans, the northern tribes, were carried into Assyrian captivity in about 722 or 721 B.C. Those Jews that were carried into captivity intermingled with the Assyrian people. And so they were viewed by the Jews as a mixed breed of people. So they were the outcast. They were, socially speaking, the unwanted. And yet Jesus asked this lady for a drink of water. And if you look at the narration provided by John, 
When the disciples returned from buying food, and by the way, the Samaritan people, if they handled or fixed food, it was considered off limits by the Jews. They wouldn't have anything to do with it. But they had gone into the city to buy food for Jesus. When they returned, they found him talking to this woman, and it was incredulous to them that he would be talking to a Jewish or rather to, to a woman. And so I think about her baggage, socially speaking, but then spiritually. What about our spiritual baggage? Well, John tells us, and this woman, when we look at her life, she's been married five times. And the Bible says the man with whom she was then living was not her husband. Now, I've known people in the past that have been married two, three times. Their spouses have deceased and they've married again. Possibly this lady had been married to five different men and five different men had died. On the other hand, maybe not. Whatever the case, she's now living with a guy. So here is a woman who is basically living in sin. Now, I understand that in our day and time, whenever we talk about sin, in many ways, it no longer resonates with the human family. As a matter of fact, we no longer understand, I'm talking about the vast majority of people, we don't get it when it comes to the concept of sin. The word sin literally means a missing of the mark. John tells us, that it is a transgression of the law. In other words, God's law, 1 John 3, verse 4. There are a lot of people in our world today, when they hear the word sin, they just automatically think, well, you know what, that's just something of old folklore. That, that concept of sin is outdated. It's old-fashioned. There's really nothing to it. Well, the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and that would be inclusive of both Jew and Gentile. And so here is a lady who is living in sin. But to make matters worse, not only was she living in sin, but she was lost in sin. You know, if you go back to the old law and the Samaritans, they believed in the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch. That's all they accepted. They didn't accept the other books of the Hebrew Bible. Just those five books. But couched within those five books, God said in Exodus chapter 20, verse 14, what we call the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. So here's a woman who's living in sin and she is lost in sin. Now what did Paul say about the consequences of living and dying in sin? Here it is, Romans 6, verse 23. The wages of sin is death. Do we understand what it means to be lost in sin? You ever thought about the magnitude of dying without Christ? Stepping out into eternity without any hope. This lady is living in sin and she's lost in sin. And Jesus makes a special effort to go through the city of Samaria. And I have no doubt 
that Jesus went through the city of Samaria to make a difference in the lives of those people. Because you see, to Jesus, everybody is somebody. The Jews may have thought the Samaritans, they are nobodies. They are the outcast, the displaced. Not so with Jesus. So, her social baggage, her spiritual baggage. But then there's a second thing I want you to see in our study, and that is the blessing of the Samaritan woman. What we're going to find when we look at this text is this woman, perceived to be an outcast, a displaced person, a disenfranchised individual, what we're going to find out is that this lady was blessed. Note, if you would, her conversation with the Lord. Jesus has asked her for a drink of water. And she can't believe that Jesus would even begin to speak to her, to ask her for a glass of water. So Jesus said, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that said to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now I want you to think for just a minute about what's going on here. The Lord has asked her for a drink of water. And incredulously to her, this man would even speak to her, this Jew. So here is Jesus giving her time. And not just, not just any time, but precious time. John gives us a glimpse into the three, three and a half year ministry of Jesus. And over in John chapter 9, verse 4, Jesus said, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. He said, the night's coming when no man can work. In other words, I've only got a limited amount of time here on planet earth. I've got three and a half years, and I've got to make the most of every single minute. Now we talk about making wise usage of our time. You think about how precious your time is. If you go to the doctor this week, you'll find out how precious their time is. I mean, they can zip in, zip out, and guess what? You'll get a bill of two, $300. And look, I'm happy to pay it because they are the expert, right? So you think about their precious time. Well, what about the precious time of Jesus? Can you imagine Jesus stopping? He's tired, he's weary, and he stops and has a conversation with you. Now many of us, we think about how every minute of every hour of every day, of every week, of every month, of every year is important. And it is. Paul talked about redeeming the time. So you think about how important time is. Jesus gave this woman some time, didn't he? But not only did he give her his time, and that time was precious, but he gave her truth. And that truth was very powerful. So this woman asked the question, you know, how is it that you being a Jew would ask a drink from me? Jesus then says, well, you know what, if you knew the gifts of God and who it was that said to you, give me a drink, you would have asked, and he would have given you living water. Note what the woman says, sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then did you get that living water? Now she's thinking about physical water, isn't she? 
Jesus isn't talking about physical water here. And so she asked this question, are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. In other words, those who are drinking from Jacob's well, they're going to continue to come back to Jacob's well because they need that water. But he said, whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water, springing up into everlasting life. Now look at verse 15. Jesus has now gotten her attention. And so she said, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Now, again, she's thinking about physical water. She's thinking, you know what, if I get this water from Jesus, then I'm not going to have to make this track to the well and draw water every day. He's not talking about physical water. He's talking about salvation, eternal life. And so what Jesus does is He instructs her with these words, go call your husband and come here. Now, that's the challenge. Jesus has been engaged in a conversation with this woman, and now he's going to challenge her. Go call your husband and come back. Now listen to what she says. I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You've had five husbands. And the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that, you spoke truly. Now let's just pause here for a minute. Here we have what I would call a disclosure. Imagine sitting down talking to a total stranger. And during the course of your conversation, they say something that there's no way that you would have ever known anything about. Let's just say that you were in this setting. You'd been married five times. You're now living with somebody. And Jesus said to you, go call your husband. You say, you know what? I don't have a husband. The Lord said, you've said, you know, what you've said is right. But you've had five husbands. And you're now living with a man. Would that get your attention? I'm all ears. Wouldn't you be? And so, here's what she said. Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Why? Got to be somebody special. I mean, who has the ability to look into my heart, into my life, and tell me exactly where I am in life and what I've done, what my past is, what my present is? Only deity could do that, right? So she said, sir, you must be a prophet. Now, note if you would her discovery. What she does, at least from my vantage point, she employs from a tactical standpoint a change of subject. Sometimes when, as we say, the heat's on and somebody brings up, brings up a subject and we're not comfortable with that subject, what do we do? 
we changed, we changed the direction of the conversation. Jesus had just said, look, you're, now, you're living with a man. You've been married five times. I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to talk about my personal life. So she wants to change the subject and talk about worship, the place of worship. She said, our fathers worshiped in this mountain. And you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Now the Samaritans had built their own temple on Mount Gerasim, about 40 miles north-northwest of the city of Jerusalem. Jews worshipped in the city of Jerusalem. That's where the temple was. And so the Samaritans had a corrupted form of worship. And so one of the, I think one of the raging controversies of that day, where do we worship? Where's the place of worship? And so she said, look, our fathers, they worship on Mount Gerasim. But you say that Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. And so in verse 21, Jesus said, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither worship in this mountain nor in Jerusalem. He said, You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. Now the Jews were the nation of people through whom the Christ, the Messiah, would emerge. God chose the Hebrew people for the purpose of bringing His Son into the world. They had a special place. So Jesus said, look, there's coming a time, and it's not very long, in which it's not going to be about worshiping God on Mount Gerizim or in Jerusalem, but rather people are going to engage in true worship. Look at verse 24. God is spirit. Those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. Now in verse 25, note if you would what she said. I know that Messiah is coming. Now John adds here in parenthesis who is called Christ. The Messiah was the anointed one, the Christ, the Redeemer. How would she know anything about the Messiah? Well, the Samaritans accepted the first five books of the Old Testament. And in the Pentateuch, you could read about the promised seed, Genesis 3.15. You could read about Abraham being called by God and God saying to him, In you shall all nations, families of the earth be blessed. Moses wrote about in the long ago the fact that the Messiah, the Christ, would come through the tribe of Judah. He would talk about that prophet that would be raised up among them in Deuteronomy chapter 18. So they knew something about the Messiah. And she said, look, when the Messiah comes, He will tell us all things. But I want you to note what Jesus says in verse 26. I who speak to you am He. Now really what He's saying there, I who speak to you, I am. I am is significant because what he's saying is I am the self-existent one. I am the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. Now imagine you're having this casual conversation with, with a stranger. and you, You've never seen this man. You've never met this man. You don't know anything about him. He's already peered into your heart. He's told you something about yourself that he could have never known on his own. 
This woman says, you know what, I know the Messiah is coming. She's already identified him as a prophet. Now she said, I know, I know the Messiah is coming, and when he comes, he's going to tell us everything. And then Jesus drops the bomb. I am. I am the Messiah. So you have discovery. There's something else I want you to see in our study very quickly. And that is the broadcasting of the Samaritan woman. And I want you to see a couple of things. First, consider with me, if you would, her impression of the Lord. Now, she knew something about the Messiah because she said that. But now, it's taken to another level, isn't it? No longer knowing something about the Messiah, she now knows the Messiah. Now, think about that for a minute. She is face to face with the Son of God. She is in the presence of deity. I mean, can you imagine? Here's a Samaritan woman, a disenfranchised person, somebody who is displaced, outcast, despised by the Jewish people. She is in the presence of Jesus. And if you read, if you read the gospel narratives, I think it's significant that Jesus doesn't always identify himself to people. The only, other, the only other time in the book of John that I know of Jesus identifying himself to somebody is over in chapter 9. In that context, Jesus gave sight to a man that had been born blind. And Jesus found him sometime later. And he asked him the question, do you believe in the Son of God? And that man asked this question, who is he, Lord, that I might believe in him? And Jesus then said, I who speak to you am he. Many of the religious leaders, the people of that day, were so hard-hearted and stubborn, the Lord didn't tell him, he didn't tell those people who he was. They could connect the dots. They could look at what the prophet said. They could evaluate his message, his miracles, and they could come to that conclusion. But Jesus here identifies himself as the Son of God. So you think about her impression of the Lord. She knew something about the Lord, but now she knows the Lord. Now, what about her influence for the Lord? Now, could I ask you a question? How many of us... How many of us would consider somebody that's been married five times and now living with a person? How many of us would view that person as a potential prospect for Christianity? How many of us would think, here's somebody that could become a great missionary. Here's somebody that could lead many, many people to Christ. I think sometimes, I think if we're not careful, we tend to write people off, don't we? How many, times, how many times in life have, based on where a person is, or maybe on the basis of who that person is, or maybe based on their lifestyle, here's what we say, they wouldn't be interested they wouldn't be interested in Christianity. They wouldn't be interested in Jesus. We write them off before we ever give them a chance. Jesus didn't write this woman off. 
And the reason is because everybody is somebody to Jesus. And that's you too. You're a somebody to Jesus. Every single one of us are somebody. So much so that Jesus came, bled, and died for all. So I want you to think for a minute or two about her influence for the Lord. Really pretty amazing. The Bible tells us in this context that she lifted up the Christ to the Samaritan people. Know what it said, verse 27, at this point his disciples came, they marveled that he talked with a woman, yet no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? Then the woman left her water pot, went her way into the city and said to the men, come, see a man that told me all things that I ever did. And then she asked this question, could this be the Christ? In other words, what she was doing is saying, look, you come and evaluate Jesus. Listen to him. You see him, you listen to him, and you make the evaluation. Is this the Messiah? Is this the Christ? Isn't that what we're called upon to do today? To read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Sift through the evidence, read it, study it, meditate upon it, and then draw our conclusions? And haven't many of us, like Peter in the long ago, said, you know what, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. So here's a woman who is lifting up the Christ to her own people. Now drop down, look at verse 39. Not only did she lift up the Christ, but the Bible tells us that she led many people to Christ. Now, John tells us in verse 30, they went out of the city and came to him. So what she said resonated. She sparked interest in these people. Verse 39, many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him. Because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all that I ever did. Imagine that. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them. He stayed there two more days. So here's Jesus. He goes through the city of Samaritan, Samaria. The Samaritans are the despised of that day and time, and yet he takes the time, precious time, to go through Samaria, and then he spends another two days there, and what occurs is phenomenal. The Bible says in verse 41, many more believe because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, now we believe not because of what you said, for we have heard for ourselves, and listen, and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Here's a woman been married five times, living with a man, and Jesus had such a profound, really made such a profound impression on her life that she became a tremendous influence for him. What does that say to me? What does it say to you? It says to me that Jesus can make a difference in our lives. He made a difference in the life of this lady. And you can read throughout the gospel narratives. And you look at the number of people over and over and over again that Jesus took time, precious time, His time. He took His time to talk to them, to reason with them, to encourage them. And I think about here is Jesus spending time with this lady And let me tell you what, not only did it make a difference in her life, it made a difference in the lives of many, many people. And you think about where you are in life today. You might feel like you're an outcast. You might think that others view you as a rebel, as a nobody, 
as a worthless human being, let me tell you what, in the eyes of Jesus, you are not. You are a somebody. And every single one of us, I don't care who we are, where we come from, it doesn't matter. We are somebody, everybody is somebody to Jesus. You believe that? And I think one of the, I think one of the things that people have been led to believe is the Lord wouldn't care about them. Let me tell you what, He cares. He cared about this lady. And He made a difference in her life. And I want, to, I want to tell you today, He can make a difference in your life. I promise you that. He is, as they said, the Savior of the world. He can save you from sin. What would you need to do to come to Christ? It's very easy. Believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That's what He said, except you believe that I am. You'll die in your sins. You believe? I know you believe that. You're here today. Would you be willing to give up a life of sin? Don't you think that the fact that Jesus spent time with her, once she went back home, don't you think that she was a different lady? Why? Because she had been in the presence of Christ. So we talk about repentance. Confessing with our mouth what we believe in our heart, that He is the Son of God, and then being baptized into Christ. Why? So that our sins can be washed away. Did you know that every single solitary sin that you have in your life, the Lord has the ability, the power to wash away? He can take care of your sin problem. Read the gospel narratives. Jesus came to make a difference in the lives of people. He came as the Savior of the world. If you're here today, let's just say you're a member of the body of Christ and you're going back out into the world. And you're not in fellowship with God now and you want to be back in fellowship with Him. You want to come home. Did you know the Lord will take you back? He'd love to have you back. God is not willing that any should perish, listen to me, but that all should come to repentance, 2 Peter 3, 9. If you're here today and you're outside of Christ, listen. Here's what the Lord would say. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, the promise being I'll give you rest. Won't you come as we stand and sing?